our um, theme for 2016 is a year of overcoming. I don't pretend to be extremely prophetic in this. I'm just reminding you of what is true of you as a believer. You are an overcomer in Jesus' name. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. But we're going to focus on how we can move in victory and what that really means, not some kind of triumphalistic, superficial approach to life and the issues of life and living. We know that difficulties and trials and tests and suffering come our way. But in the midst of these things, how can we learn to overcome? Now, one of the key things, of course, is prayer. So we're going to look at a series on prayer beginning today, although you will remember last Sunday in my New Year's message, I spoke to you about travailing prayer, the Holy Spirit's presence in each of our hearts. So you are already gifted. You have the spiritual DNA to be a high-class intercessor because the Holy Spirit is in you. So we're going to flow with this series. My title today is Prayer, the Antidote to Anxiety. Wonderful. And uh, here's the take-home message. God gives you supernatural peace if you have a troubled heart. Supernatural peace for troubled hearts. Supernatural. Very important word. And uh, later on in your cell groups, the cell leaders have the notes which help you take this and apply it to your life bit by bit. If your cell leaders forgotten to download them. We've got some hard copies here. We're going to turn to the book of Philippians and chapter 4. Read four or three or four verses there. Chapter, chapter 4, Philippians 4, verse 4. Always be full of joy in the Lord. And I say it again. Rejoice. Let everyone see that you are considerate in all you do. Remember, the Lord is coming soon. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything you can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. That's an NLT version. A number of years ago, I had the privilege to accompany Dr. Morris Sorello to the city of Cambridge, where he took part in a debate, a presentation in the Cambridge Debating Society. And I say it was a privilege not just to be there, but to accompany him as his aide. And we were escorted into the meal with the high-level students before we went in to the debating chamber. And the president of the debating society at that time was a woman, and, and she asked Dr. Sorello this question. She said, Dr. Sorello, if you don't know him, he's a high-powered evangelist, American evangelist. And, um, uh, and here was her question. Dr. Sorello, I've been looking you up on the internet. I've been doing some research on you. And he, she said, how do you cope? And he said, cope with what? How do you cope with the criticism and the vitriolic things that people write about you? How do you cope with that? And Dr. Sorello took a deep breath. Now, I will not try and imitate him, as many will know him, but I suppose it will come out a little bit. And he said, my dear sister, 
what I'm about to say to you, you should write up on this wall, and it's worth a million dollars. And this is what he said. I've learned to deal with the situation as it is, not as I wished it to be. Those are wise words. It's no good pretending that we're not facing what we're facing. Read in that verse, in verse 5, where it says, Remember, the Lord is coming soon. And when we think about the coming of Jesus and all that that will mean for us, we kind of have this picture of this wonderful rule and reign of Jesus Christ established over everything, no problems, no difficulties, no, no sickness, no death, no dying, no tax collectors, no neighbors from hell, none of that, just this glorious existence. And in many ways, we, we kind of wish we were living there, and yet the truth is we have to wait for that. And while we wait, what are we facing? We know that the kingdom of God is here, we have a real relationship with Jesus, real contact with the king, and we surrender our lives to him, but we know that the fullness isn't yet to come, and we thank God, the fullness has not yet come, and we thank God that he's promised us that we're going to make it to the end. Look at this great assurance, Philippians 1 verse 6. I'm certain that God, who began a good work within you, will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day when Jesus Christ returns. So we've got an assurance we're going to make it if we have to face tough times, difficult times, if the enemy is out to get us and don't have to be paranoid to believe that. Jesus, the Bible says, the enemy is like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour, prowling around your life. But if you know that the God of peace will give you the authority to crush him under your feet and know that God will bring you right through to the blessed end because he's promised. He's begun a work and he's going to bring it to completion. That's assurance during this current time of conflict, struggle. We live in permanent state of frustrated satisfaction. We are satisfied, but we want more. We're longing for more. We're frustrated. So many things don't seem to work as the way we want them to work. We're living in a world that is so far from God, and, and we are very often somehow thrown on the mercies of merciless people as we try to witness for Jesus Christ personally. I believe these are the hardest decades, the years that I have seen in all my ministry and time as a believer to stand up for Jesus, to live for him, and to stick your head above the parapet. But thank God, we have the assurance of his presence and power now to enable us to live with Jesus and tremendous promises that we may overcome and get ready for the return of Jesus. And if Jesus is coming soon, and he is, and you say, well, hey, that was said 2,000 years ago. Wow, it must be really late, because if 2,000 years ago he's coming soon, how soon is it now, 2,000 years on? We live in the expectation of the return of Jesus Christ, but in the meantime, the book of Philippians shows us how we should live, waiting for that time in patience. We should be joyful, gentle, peaceful, fruitful, evangelistic, humble, patient, respectful, united, and the list goes on. And we say, my, 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 
Heavenly Father, how is this going to be possible? And right here, he throws in a good portion of the answer, learn to pray. That's what he's saying. Learn to pray. Verses 6 and 7. Back in the, New, in the New Living Translation, it says, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he's done. Then he, there's a wonderful promise of peace that follows. New King James and everything by prayer and supplication, let your requests be made known to God. Don't worry about anything. Pray about everything. Prayer is not just a religious exercise. It is one of the most practical things, if not the most practical thing you could ever do. A number of years ago, a friend of mine came to me with massive problems. I mean, his problems were enormous. Everything was collapsing, and he required urgent help, urgent action. So I said, I'm really going to help you. So I said, let, let, let's pray about it. So I prayed and prayed again. He wasn't very participatory. And when I opened my eyes, I found his eyes already opened. He said, I thought you were going to help me. I said, I'm praying. No, I thought you were going to do something practical. I said, there is nothing more practical than prayer. Do you agree with me? Now, when you have prayed, there may be a lot of things that you must do and can do, but you can do nothing until you have prayed. That's the place to begin. Now, when we look at the benefits of prayer, it's always good to look at the benefits of anything that God asks us to do. The benefits are enormous. Here, God's word says that prayer will drive away anxiety. Don't worry about anything, but pray about everything. So if you pray about everything, you will have no need to worry about anything. That means God says, cover everything in prayer. Or to put it another way, learn to talk to God about everything. He is the first person you should turn to. What happens when somebody speaks badly of you and you hear a rumor? Pick up the phone, you speak to your best friend. And if your friend listens to you, they're not your best friend. They're your co-commiserator. Your co-complainer. Oh, do you know what such and such said to me? Blah, 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 blah. Talk to God. Or maybe people you need to call, talk to God. There's a, a man, when we think of the history of our movement, uh, Joseph Smith, not the one with rose-colored spectacles. No, not that Joseph Smith, not the Mormon one, another one. Our very own Pentecostal Joseph Smith. He was an Irishman, very, very abrupt, highly intelligent, very anointed, but you wouldn't want to mess with him. He was visiting the church here in Kensington Temple, and Eldon Corsi, who was the pastor at the particular time, a woman came in, knocking on the door, saying, Pastor, Pastor, can I see you? And Joseph Smith opened the door, put his hands on him. He said, what do you want to see the pastor about? I want to ask the pastor a question. Oh, really? Have you talked to God about it? No. Well, don't come back until you do. And close the door in her face. <laughs> now, that tells a story that actually is a really important principle. We wouldn't treat you like that, of course. But it's a very important principle that talk to God about everything. Prayer isn't this complicated business. Oh, it's very profound. And I want you to discover supernatural prayer, not superficial prayer. And in this year of overcoming, the best place to overcome is on your knees. That's where you overcome. 
So you learn to talk to God about everything. He's your best friend. He wants you to ask. He wants you to talk. And when you talk to him about everything, you can begin to learn to trust him in everything. The peace of heart that is spoken of here is very elusive in today's world. The daily anxieties, the pressures of life, Even Jesus spoke about the cares and anxieties of life way back in that day. And kind of, I wonder if today, the pace of life has put more pressure on us. We know that the tranquilizing range of drugs is still the most commonly uh, prescribed drugs in Britain for people who are suffering from anxiety and fear and, and borderline depression. The pace of life today makes it very difficult for us just to sit and be silent And there are all kinds of devices and all kinds of ways in which the enemy, yes, the enemy can keep us occupied. We never just sit down and and rest and reflect and, 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 and and somehow the pressures that come from our families, from our employers, that come from our community, the demands, the pressures to perform, the rate of change itself is, is just incredible. And years ago, we used to spend time in order to save money now we spend money to save time because it's so precious stress is today financial I'm cheering you up here aren't I financial stresses relational stresses spiritual stresses and yet there are very few real solutions today people will turn to the medical profession and while I believe in properly prescribed medication particularly for emotional needs such as anxiety and depression, which are rooted in chemical and physical uh, imbalances in the body. Sometimes I believe that doctors uh, struggle with their workload and uh, have the prescription pad out before they've even had a chance to hear anything. It's not the GP on the front row, and I know he doesn't do that. But we've all experienced the pressures And sometimes medication is the quickest way out, but it doesn't always help. If you're properly prescribed, do take it, but psychological uh, help is available in all the counseling therapies and theories around there, most of them humanistic, some of them helpful, but most of them not really get you very far. Then there's the spiritual transcendental approach coming from the new age, all kinds of spiritualities and all kinds of devices, wave a few crystals in the atmosphere and so on. And yet, people still struggle with anxiety and depression. But there is an answer. This doesn't mean to say, when he says, don't worry about anything, pray about everything. He's not saying that you will never, ever have an anxious thought, never, ever have an anxious feeling if you know how to pray. I don't think that's the promise here. But the promise here is is that when these things attack you and assail your life, you know what to do with them. You take them to the Lord, take them to Jesus. Not saying you will never ever need medical or psychological help. But I'm telling you that in all circumstances, whether you feel good or don't feel good, whether it's going well apparently or not going well apparently, God is still in control and God is with you and it's going to be all right. So he says, here's how you pray. Now in uh, verse 6, which I read to you in the NLT, let me quote it again in the New King James Version, in everything, by prayer and supplication, make your requests known to God. So we've got those words, prayer, supplication, requests, making them known to God. 
and thanksgiving is there as well. Okay, so interesting. I don't want to skip over this. It just shows you how deep this verse is. It looks like a tiny verse quickly moving on to something else. Actually, it's packed full of revelation. And here's how we can learn about prayer. And in those books that I talked about, prayer that gets answers and effective prayer, we're going to much, much more detail. The first word here for prayer is the word that focuses on God. Prayer is coming to God. Renewing your vision of God. Strengthening your relationship with God. Prayer is at heart and at root relational. You come before God and when you focus on God and contemplate God, suddenly in all the vastness and infinity that is God, your problem comes down to right proportions. The next thing in everything by prayer and supplication. Supplication is the word for requests. And the word here is a word that arises out of the understanding of what you need. Tell God your needs. This kind. Something's happening here. Excuse me. Thank you. You can cut that out of the DVD. (laughs) I'm giving you a chance to go back to where I was. When we come to God with our needs and tell him about our needs, having focused on him first, we're more likely to have a better understanding of what we really need. And secondly, when we come to him with our need, we know that God who sees our needs is, I was going to say, in empathy, in sympathy, far more important that he is the God of compassion, he is our loving heavenly father and loves to meet and satisfy our needs. Then it says do this with thanksgiving. Wow, thanksgiving is so important. First of all, when you thank God for everything that he's done, you're kind of building your faith. You're saying, he's done it for me before, he can do it for me again. I've been here before and God has seen me through. Thank you, Lord. And you speak out in faith, God, thank you that you hear me. Thank you that you're listening to me. In fact, I'm going to exercise my faith and give you thanks in advance of the answer that the answer is coming. Praise God. You're going to praise him in the end. Why don't you praise him now? Mixing it with thanksgiving. It's so wonderful to thank God for things. And sometimes, instead of coming and complaining and sitting before God and listing all the things that you want him to do that he hasn't done and all the rest of it, start thanking him for what he has done. There's an old song, count your blessings, name them one by one, and it will surprise you what the Lord has done. I I kept myself from singing that. Thank you very much, Holy Spirit, self-control. Then it goes on to this outstanding thing. In everything by prayer and supplication, let your requests be made known to God. Very interesting. Now, many of us have this problem. Why do I have to tell God my needs? He knows them. And very often when we pray, he's answered already in advance of our prayers because he's anticipated and he's always working in our lives. But this shows us that prayer is not just a kind of sitting there waiting for God to act or wishing about something and thinking about something. Prayer in this way is a formal act of bringing our petition to God. How many lawyers do we have here today? 
You know, some, no, no lawyers and what we did for them. How many people have been on the wrong side of the law then? Let's see. A few, a, few, a few people. But we know that, say for example, there's a judge. And the judge will know what you need, but not until the advocate comes and makes a petition to the court or a petition to the judge can the judge act on it. That's the kind of language that's here. It's saying God knows your needs, but he delights when you come to him as the judge of all the earth and say, Heavenly Father, I formally make my request known to you. I formally submit my request. And I believe that when you do that, your prayer enters another level. It enters a level of judgment, a level of forensic import in the eyes of God and God who is your judge and Jesus who is your advocate will prosecute that right to the very end and ensure that nobody who speaks against you not even the devil himself will stop it from happening because God is the judge of all the earth amen and amen now when when we start looking at the effects of prayer we have a lot of advantage today because massive amount of research is being done into this I discovered recently for example there is a new form of neuroscience called neurotheology never heard of that before neurotheology and what that is is the study of the relationship between spiritual phenomena and the human brain. Wow, it's amazing that people are actually studying this. Neurologists and psychologists are studying the effects of religious faith upon our central nervous system. It's amazing. And when you look at some of the reports, I'm going to go to this smallest report, five scientifically uh, supported benefits of prayer. This is by a PhD uh, uh, clinical psychologist. Uh, uh, that's, that's amazing. Five, a little bit. We can do better than that. Excuse me. Thank you very much. Okay. We'll have to get a bigger pulpit when I have all this research. It's fascinating what's available. Here's another one. Ten ways, of, way, ten ways praying actually benefits your health. Ten ways. Now, this one surpasses them all. 47 health benefits of prayer. Plus, as a bonus, the prayer pitfall and how to avoid it. Remind me to get to that prayer pitfall. All of this is science. This is science. People studying and even showing you how you can pray negatively and how that's going to affect you negatively. Very interesting. And uh, this man, Andrew Newberg, who's the founder of Neurotheology, says religious beliefs and activities can have a profound impact on our mental and physical well-being by reducing stress, wow, that's interesting, it sounds like don't worry about anything, pray about everything, doesn't it? A confirmation of the word of God. By reducing stress, I like that. Removing resistance to diseases, I like that, I like to resist diseases. And enhancing memory and mental function. And, and helping us lead longer lives. Astonishing. Science showing us what the Bible says all along. Let's give Jesus praise. Now, <laughs> I'm so enjoying this that I, I want to read you an extract from the Journal of American Medical Association, a journal of the Medi American Medical Association. Is this getting too technical for you? You'll love it. It's a testimony of Mrs. A. Mrs. A is an 83-year-old woman. 
She's called Mrs. A to maintain confidentiality. So no confidentiality was breached in the sharing of this testimony. And this is published in this, mag in this official journal. Some people are sick, this is her talking, some people are sick and have pain, and it gets the best of them. Not me. She must have been Pentecostal. <laughs> Not me, she says. Praying eases the pain. Sometimes I pray when I'm in deep, serious pain. I pray, and all at once, the pain gets easy. Mm. Doctors are marveling at her marvelous resilience. What does she suffer from? Goiter, arthritis, diabetes, a rare type of nerve damage, possibly a complication of diabetes, that triggered pain all over her body, weakness in her legs, nothing, no medical treatment, medications, nothing have been able to help, brought no relief. Yet she lived alone, Without assistance from anybody else or a nurse, she remained in good spirits, listen to this, as well as taking care of herself, Mrs. A regularly attended church services and prayer groups. Amen. Amen speaks to a pastor's heart and helped others in charitable work with the sick. She boggled her doctor's minds. In, a, in the journal article, one of them writes, she is a very impressive patient in that Throughout the 15 years that I've known her, she has continued to live with a chronic, progressive, and debilitating illness, and has done so with incredible spirit, particularly in the light of the lack of traditional medicine to offer her a lot of hope. She relies on her belief in God and her own prayers to get her through some really tough times. That's medical testimony to the effectiveness of prayer. Now, let me get on to the, uh, this uh, prayer pitfall, if I can find that, because I thought that was very interesting. Forget now, don't forget now, this isn't just Bible teaching. Here is a scientist who studied people's prayer attitudes and uh, the prayer pitfall. Hmm. Most of the time, prayer focuses on positive things, such as giving thanks, seeking strength, support, guidance. It reduces stress, anger, and hostility, and has beneficial effect on one's physical and emotional health. However, when prayer has negative connotations, the effect is detrimental. Wow. He's now going to quote from Duke University, 600 hospital patients, published in the Archives of Internal Medicine. They found of risk of death amongst those with negative perspectives, such as, wondered whether God abandoned me, or I don't know, God loves me, the kind of Eeyore kind of prayer. You know who Eeyore is? Well, never mind. <laughs> Look it up on the internet. Or even, the devil made this happen. Hmm. Now, that's talking in the context of care for patients with critical illness. So, what we have to understand is that prayer is essentially a positive thing, Coming and talking to God positively about your pain is not a negative thing. But when we start to attribute to God all kinds of negative stuff that doesn't belong to him, then actually that kind of attitude can have a negative effect on our health. Now, I know somebody will be saying, yes, all oh, this is from America. They say anything in America, don't they? Let me quote to you from the British Journal of Health Psychology. <laughs> Praying can reduce your risk of developing depression and anxiety. I'll take that. Let's grab it. 
How can people, without prescriptions today, if you need prescriptions, doctor, they've got to take them, right? But we are prescribing the gospel here today, all right? Praying can reduce your risk of developing depression and anxiety. It also found that you have a higher probability of being positive and less depressed if you prayed at a place of worship. Wow. So the doctor says, go to church. It's good for your health. Hallelujah. Now, actually, a lot of what I've said presents us with a lot of difficulties if we want to be realistic. I'll come back to them in a moment. If we want to be fair and, and, and correct, we'll come back to that. But it's wonderful to see, at least in part, some medical and scientific confirmation of what the Bible says here. Prayer works. It makes a different when you, difference when you pray. That's why Jesus in Luke 18, when he speaks about the persistent widow, remember she kept harassing the judge until the judge said, just give her whatever she's asking for, she's driving me crazy. And if God, if the judge, the unjust judge responds like that, how much more will your heavenly father bless and help those who persist in prayer? So we should always pray and never give up. What differences? We looked at some of those effects and the 47 include remarkable testimonies from the medical world. But from my own personal testimony, what difference does prayer make? At the top of the list for me is that somehow when you are thoroughly covering an issue, a situation, a circumstance, an attitude, a problem, a circumstance with prayer, Really pray, not like having to make a big effort out of it, but by the Holy Spirit, naturally talking to God about everything. I find one of the first ways in which prayer makes a difference is I gain some wisdom. I find that. I gain some insight. And answers come to perplexing situations and circumstances. God shows you what to do next, how to move forward. This happened to me this very week, amongst many other things, and bringing to God to pray about was a complex situation. And, and I was asking God about it, and then just in my normal course of things, day-to-day -day -day activities, very menial activities, suddenly the answer pops into my mind into my spirit, I see it as clear as anything. And within 30 seconds, it's resolved, I act on it, whole thing's done, turned around. Wisdom, thank you Jesus, comes from prayer. <laughs> then there are times that when you pray and remarkable circumstances are, are changed. Changed in a remarkable way. Situations are totally changed. Your circumstances are resolved. People change. You know, the people are always the problem. You're never the problem, it's always them. And you're praying, and they change. And then God says, how about you? And you change. I mean, prayer really does change things. I remember when I was first a believer, the first year, I can record it in my diary, the first year of being a believer, every single prayer I prayed was answered with a big tick, yes, from God, hallelujah, smiley face, including very difficult situations, physical situations, people I was praying for, just thought it was normal. Oh Lord, heal that person, and he did, thank you, next please. And a whole year I gave my testimony to a mature Pentecostal believer. Ah. 
with maturity like this give me immaturity every day. But anyway, she said to me, oh, that's not very mature. I said, why is that? Don't expect God will continue that for the rest of your life. He often encourages young Christians who are very baby-minded. And you know what? The next day, I got a not answer to prayer. And the day after that, and the day after that. But I wonder what happened if I never met that mature woman. <laughs> I wonder. But maturity really is about at times you don't get the immediate transformation straight away and you need to persist in it that's what the parable of the of that uh, persistent widow is all about keep on praying keep on praying there might not be immediate change but you find that when you pray you have a greater capacity to trust even if there's no apparent change and sometimes sometimes when you pray over a period of time the situation kind of resolves itself when actually it's not resolving itself it's the Holy Spirit working in ways you didn't recognize another way that I find one of the powerful effects of prayer is is that when you pray you are empowered you are empowered to be the answer to your prayer there's a couple of passages in scripture remind me of this one is the Lord's Prayer where Jesus say pray like this our Father in heaven give us this day our daily bread give us this day our daily bread Lord and what do you do open the window wait for your meal <laughs> to float down from heaven or does that prayer mean God give me strength to get up find a job and work at my job isn't it isn't that you will become the answer to that prayer now if you're in prison and you're struggling and there's no way in which you can physically be an answer to your prayer God will send angels ravens and even send the devil to do it if necessary there's a story of a woman I am told it's a, it's, it's a true story I can't vouch for it it's not on the internet I don't know but this this woman she was a widow she had no money and she lived next door to an atheist she's always witnessing to the atheist the atheist is always criticizing her and so she's she's praying window open she's saying, oh God I don't have any food I haven't got any money oh God please help please provide and the man next door was listening in the atheist thought, now nah, I've got a way, I'm going to show her something. So he went to the supermarket, got a whole box of groceries, left it on the front door, and she opened the door. Thank you, Jesus, you've provided. And he came around the corner and said, no, it wasn't Jesus, it was me. <laughs> now, now she began to praise God all the more. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Not only did you answer my prayer, I said I wanted to go back to some of those um, scientific reports. One of the dangers of that is that this neurotheology is studying all religions and finding positive benefits from many different kinds of prayer, not, not just about Christian prayer. It maybe it shows how that we are made as, as human beings to pray, and when we pray, it, good things happen to us. But prayer is not about good things happening to us. Prayer is about glorifying God. Let me show you very quickly three things that prayer is not. It's not a coping mechanism. You don't use God to make you feel better. Hello? It's all about feeling better because what happens when you pray and you don't feel better? What happens when you pray and you feel worse? Sometimes it's got to get worse before it gets better. 
When God speaks to you and there are things in your life and, and sometimes the experience is not pleasant. When Jesus was agonizing Gethsemane, it wasn't pleasant. We wouldn't have that kind of prayer. We wouldn't go into supernatural prayer. We'd stick to superficial prayer. Help me cope. And if it doesn't work, I'll find another God. Neither is prayer an engineering tool by which you engineer your whole life around your wishes and your wants. You don't use prayer to get what you want. In fact, it's so difficult because God answers prayer so amazingly. God, I need a parking space. There's one. One thing happens to me. I feel so foolish every time it happens to me, uh, but it never fails. And I just feel so foolish. I've got that masculine pastoral pride. But when I lose something, I'll ask my wife. And when she doesn't know where it is and I don't know where it is, I sit down and sulk. And then eventually say, okay, Lord, you show me. Because I feel it's so stupid to ask God, where are my keys? I feel it's so stupid. That's ridiculous, isn't it? I preach to you, there's no prayer request too small. But he answers. Isn't that wonderful? So God does, but you don't just use him. Just to find this or do that. Help me catch a bus, Lord, or do this, do that. He's not, he's not a gopher for you. And neither is prayer a, a, a magic silver bullet. Just pray one prayer, shoot up to heaven, and every problem is resolved and in this simple one-stop solution. Supernatural prayer sometimes means trusting God and believing him when everything goes wrong and seems to go wronger and wronger and wronger, like the grammar of my sentence. <laughs> but there is in all of this a wonderful promise which comes from prayer. And it's not just about, it's going to make you feel good, it's going to do you good. This is a wonderful promise because prayer now, and the promise of this prayer, transcends anything that can be measured by those scientific reports. I think that 83-year-old lady, Mrs. A, she had the shalom that is promised here, but they can't measure shalom. They can just say, look, there's something happening, we don't understand it. They can't measure the spiritual impact, but God says, here it is, if you pray like this, something is going to happen to you, you are going to receive the peace of God. You will experience God's peace. And here, let's emphasize God's peace. I've just seen the time. That's, um, the devil's a liar. We know that. <laughs> God's peace. This isn't Prozac peace. Okay? This is not self-help peace. This isn't transcendental meditative peace. This is shalom of God. And it's more than just having nice feelings. It's experiencing the total well-being that God has for you at the time he's apportioned to you to have it. And this exceeds anything you can understand. It goes beyond understanding. Therefore, it is beyond scientific analysis. It is beyond any form of analysis. It's beyond your understanding, beyond your comprehension. It's supernatural. And God says this peace will guard your heart and mind as you live in Christ. So this is, with all due respect, this is nothing that the Zen Buddhist can experience. Zen Buddhists can put themselves in a meditative state where they feel nothing around them uh, and, and all kinds of benefits can come. If you believe in something big enough or strong enough, you believe in something enough, then psychologically... 
it's going to help you feel better. But this is not about psychology. This is about the reality of who God is breaking into your life and and sending uh, umpires, policemen, soldiers to garrison your heart and not allow anything in that is going to disturb the shalom of God at work in you. Praise God for that. It's wonderful. I'm thrilled about that whole thing. And so, when we talk about prayer, God will give you supernatural peace if you have a troubled heart. Supernatural peace is a troubled heart. Sometimes you can have so much peace that the only thing that troubles you is, I should be worried, but I'm not worried. I should be worried, I'm not worried. But don't worry. God has got it in control. He understands your natural tendency to worry. He understands how that is a killjoy. It robs you of so many things. Worry, the word means being ripped apart inside. That's what the word means. It rips you apart inside. And when you do that, you can't see things clearly. But Jesus says, listen, I'm going to give you a peace. A peace that the world can't give you. It's even greater than anything you can imagine or understand. And that's why he says, learn to pray about everything. There's no problem, no circumstance, nothing that is beyond him. Just pray about everything and leave it with God. Now, I want us to pray. I want us to flow in this. I know, I know we, we do individually, probably, but I'm sure there's more. There's more, but not like you need to pray more. What's the matter with you, you unbelieving generation? No, 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 no. It's about encouraging you to flow with the Holy Spirit and just learn to cover everything in prayer in your own private devotions day by day, together in your cell group meetings, in the Wednesday meetings when you, when you can be there, and also in the big gatherings. Gather together. Pray, 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 pray. Cover everything in prayer, and you will see what a remarkable difference over time this will make in your life. Amen and amen.